The Midweek Horror Podcast is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction, and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at horrifiedmag. This is the Midweek Horror Podcast with Hannah Fox and Alice Reed. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere I go. Oh, the smooth sounds of us. Well, that'll be the next thing. Start a band. Oh, definitely. I got a new ukulele, actually. Oh, did you? Very nice. Yeah, it's one size up. It's called a concert ukulele. It's lovely, actually. How is it different? Just bigger? Just a tiny bit bigger. Nice. You'll have to give me a rendition of something at some point. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I can play Mary's Boy Child. Oh, classic. Bit of Boney M. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to kick us off? Let's do our little hello. Yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Midweek Horror Podcast. I'm Hannah Fox. And I'm Ellis Reed. And today we're doing a little bit of a Christmas special, although you may get this after Christmas, um, but you know, it doesn't matter, does it really? Do you know what? <laughs> I reckon, I reckon I can get it out today. One day turnaround. Well, we'll I mean, Ellis is good, but I don't know whether he's that good. We'll have to, we'll have to see. But. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you're listening to this on the 10th of January, I apologise for whatever unforeseen delays <laughs> kept me from getting out before Christmas. But my prediction is we're having this conversation on the 23rd of December. I think I can get it out Christmas Eve at the latest. Awesome. Yeah, fingers crossed. Hope you all enjoy. Um, I very much enjoyed watching the um, the our films for, for this week, actually. Can we call them films? I mean... They're short films. Short films, yeah. Sort of stories for Christmas, so little short stories. I mean, not ex- not exactly Christmas-themed, actually, when I think about it. <laughs> so not quite sure what they're called that, but... Well, this series is called A Ghost Story for Christmas, and although these stories... You might be able to hear a dog barking on the recording, yeah. actually. Um, although the ghost stories aren't Christmas-themed, it goes back to the Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories in the lead-up to Christmas. So the link to Christmas is purely that was a Victorian tradition. See, I didn't know that. I absolutely love that. What a good little factoid. Yeah, it is is good, isn't it? And most of the ghost stories for Christmas. So this is um, a series that the BBC has done intermittently since the 60s or 70s. Okay. I, I I think early 70s, but with a big gap. I don't think they did any in the sort of 80s and 90s. And was that always on the television or did they do some on the radio? They've done other ghost story stuff on the radio, but the the ghost story for Christmas series was TV shows. Oh, okay. Typically sort of 30, 40 minutes long. Uh, And most of those were based on short stories by the famous ghost story writer and antiquarian M.R. James, Mm. who used to write his stories to tell them around Christmas. So he he definitely partook in the Christmas ghost story tradition. 
So that is the festive link. It's not the actual stories that are festive. It's this tradition of telling them sort of on the long, long, dark midwinter nights Ah. on and around Christmas Eve. Fab. Well, so the three that we uh, decided to watch, well, actually, I think the only three that we could kind of easily get hold of, which uh, we had a couple on BritBox and one on BBC iPlayer. The one on BBC iPlayer was called Martin's Close. Yes. And then we had, now I'm going to struggle with this one, the Track Taped Midden. (laughs) I got that completely wrong. The Track Taped Midoth. Midoth. Yeah. Something like that, <laughs> which I actually meant to Google and find out what it means, but I confess I never got round to it. So I don't know if you can shed any light on that, Ellis. Some kind of Hebrew thing. <laughs> yeah, okay, close enough. <laughs> uh, so there was that one. And then we also had the final one, which was, uh, oh, I'm struggling now. Do you remember? The Dead Room. The Dead Room, yeah, that's it. Also on Britbox. I was going to say the dead zone and I was like, no, I know that's something else. But yeah, the dead room. Yeah, that was, that was, um, also on Britbox. Um, so I don't know what order you want to take these in. Well, one, one is we could do them in order of release. Yeah, sure. So the track take mid off was 2013. Okay. The, um, the dead room, I think it was 2018. And Martin's close was the ghost story for Christmas last year in 2019. Right. So should we do just like a very quick whirlwind spoiler f- spoiler free thoughts and then let's do it go into them one by one in detail so which was your favorite so actually i think my favorite was uh, say it wrong again the tractate midden oh really yeah um which was funny because i watched them with my other half and that was her worst but that was actually my favorite i really liked that one um, I just really like the, I, I really like the idea. Really? Um, and I thought it was executed well as well. How about you? Ah, uh, so my favourite was The Dead Room. Ah, I think that, yeah, that was, that was her favourite as well. Yeah, yeah, I really like The Dead Room. And we will get into, so basically the track tape mid off. One thing I will say, uh, the things that I found weak about that were problems with the source material. Oh, okay. It is a very faithful adaptation of the original story, and it's not mm. one of M.R. James's best stories. So I'm not, I'm not slagging off the adaptation at all. I'm, I actually really like the sort of style and presentation of it. I just thought it was a bit of a weak story. See, I thought actually that The Dead Room was a weaker story in that I sort of thought it wasn't a very kind of it wasn't a very sort of unique story I thought well I kind of I enjoyed it I thought it was a a great little um little special but I I just feel like it it wasn't anything there wasn't anything mind-blowing whereas with the the tractate I really can't say that (laughs) I've got real issues with that (laughs) um (laughs) I don't know why it's not that hard um but with that one it I, I really like the idea um, of this kind of... I don't think it's spoiling it too much by saying there's... Um, in the story, there is a, a sort of old manuscript and it's kind of hinted at that it might be cursed or um, basically all the characters in it want to get hold of it, but weird things keep happening. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. And I thought it was quite scary as well. 
Um, Do you know what, then? You would love... Have you actually read M.R. James's stories? I haven't, actually, no. I, I think I think you would just love his whole style of story writing. <laughs> because oh, that, okay. that is quite oh. a classic Jamesian device, you know, some dusty old... You know, it's not always a book. It'll sometimes be some kind of relic. I think because he was an antiquarian. Mm. You, you know, a lot of his stories have that sort of vibe about them. I mean, I love all that stuff, so absolutely. I'll have to um, look that well, up. Yeah, well, they're all in the public domain now. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, have a have a look at them when you get a chance. Well, it would make perfect reading material, as per the Victorian tradition, in the, the nights leading up to Christmas. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, I'll have a look tonight. That's really interesting. We can, we can get into that in more detail in the spoilers section. Mm. Something I will say, I think the Tractate Mid-Off, I think... Yes, like that core idea, I really liked. And I think maybe if they'd done a looser adaptation, which got rid of some of the... Well, I don't think it's a spoiler to say there's a pretty massive coincidence at the heart of the Tractate Midoth. And I think they would have been forgiven in the adaptation if they'd kept the core of the story, but maybe rewritten that a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I've just, yeah, clocked. <laughs> so one one mm. of my favourite of the modern ghost stories for Christmas is the remake they did of Whistle and I'll Come to You. Oh, okay. And actually, the first time I saw that, I was just... Well, it's a very loose adaptation to the extent where they remove the most iconic element of the original story and the original adaptation, which is a whistle that somebody finds and blows... So when I was watching it, I was just, I was just thinking, hang on, this is wrong. Where's the whistle? Uh. And when it ended, I was like, that, that's not right. There was no whistle. But actually, once I've had time to digest it and think about it, I think it's actually a really good ghost story in its own right. So I'm, you know, I don't mind it when they play fast and loose with the source material. And I think they could have actually improved the story of the track tape mid off. And we can go into why. Should we, should we have our jingle? Should we have our spoilers jingle? Let's do it. Okay. Is it going to be a Christmas jingle? Oh. <laughs> Damn, I was just going to use the usual one, but I'll see if I can find something a bit more festive. I'd love making your life more difficult, <laughs> don't I? <laughs> <laughs> So the, the the coincidence that bothers me. Mm. So basically, in the tractate mid-off, some willfully perverse old man, just to entertain himself, before he dies, he's got two possible heirs. He leaves everything to one of them, but then he also writes a will, leaving everything to the other one, and sets her the challenge of finding this will. And he's basically concealed the will in um, an ancient Hebrew tract called the Tractate Midoff. Now, the big coincidence to me is the fact that the guy who works the library, so that the first person, the person who's inherited all the money, has worked this out, mm. and he's trying to get hold of the Tractate Midoff to destroy the will so it can't come to light and make him give the inheritance to his rival. And uh, the main character is a librarian at the librarian where this book is held. And every time the chap goes to try and get the book out, he's thwarted by this ghostly spectre. Yeah, which I found actually quite 
scary. <laughs> I thought it was quite weird. I thought they did they the um, how they presented the monster or the ghost, whatever it was, was yeah, really freaky. So I loved the way it manifested because when when the dust was floating about, mm. and you know it's it's all brightly lit, this sort of dusty light. You know, it's not like he turns up in the dark, and it was a really weird blend of sort of nice and nasty. Yeah. In terms of the aesthetic. But the um, junior librarian bumps into this spectre, has a fainting fit because he's so scared, and he goes away to recuperate in a lodging house, like miles away. You know, he gets a train to get there. And purely by coincidence, the owner of the lodging house and her beautiful daughter, you know, are the other potential heir who want to find where the will is hidden. And that's a coincidence too far for me. Do you think it is a coincidence, though? Or do you think the book is sort of... Because I actually... It was interesting that you thought that because I was thinking that the book was kind of drawing all these people together because obviously the book is, you know, possessed in some way or cursed, whatever you want to call it. And I thought the reason that he happened to go and stay at that guest house where the um, other possible heir to this guy's fortune was, was living as well. That's what I took from it. So some kind of supernatural agency brought them together. Yeah, like it had pulled them all together. That's what I thought. But if it was a coincidence, I agree. That's a bit. Yeah. <laughs> that's a ridiculous coincidence. Yeah. So I'd be interested to know. But to be honest, other stuff I thought was a bit weak with the story. If he just tucked the will inside the book, that would have made some sense. You know, like just a little piece of paper hidden between the pages. Oh, okay. Yeah. It actually looks like he's had a special custom edition made where the last one and testament is hidden within the text in a novelty typeface that looks like superficially like Hebrew characters until you read it upside down or use a mirror to see it upside down. Yeah, he's he's had it published into the book, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. How does that happen? Because it's not like now. You can't go on you know, a thousand free com and look for novelty fonts that look like Hebrew characters. <laughs> he's, he's had to do a lot of work to make that happen. True. I think, though, if he was rich, it wouldn't take that much to get it published. And if you think about it, like um, Da Vinci used to do a lot of that sort of stuff, didn't he? So you could, you'd put things in a mirror and they would read something else. So I suppose they had like ways of doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would have taken a lot of work. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, <laughs> it's not something you could knock up in an afternoon. And also, like, what an annoying old man. <laughs> like, what is the point? What the hell was the point? I, I could never quite understand why. I mean, I think you just have to take it that he was just a nasty old weird man, but yeah. pointless, really. He was just a dick, basically. <laughs> Yeah, basically. And a massive, massive dick to the woman as well, because like, he was like, oh, I'm going to give, I, I don't like my nephew, but I'm going to give him all, all my money. And you might get it if you manage to, you know, find the will and crack this code and, you know, God knows what else. So I was like, oh, you know, obviously hated her more. <laughs> <laughs> Although, so do you think the spectre was him? Mm. Ah, that's an interesting theory. Maybe because he was like a demon, because he was supposed to have been a bad guy, wasn't he, in his life? So maybe he didn't, he just went to hell. Yeah, he certainly wasn't an angel. 
But if that was him with the horrible sort of um, rotten face with all the spiders coming out of it, mm. then he was actively thwarting uh, the nephew's attempts to find and destroy the will. True. So maybe he was rooting for her. Yeah, that's true, actually. But, you know, all these oddities, that that is what the story is. So it's... Yeah. As an adaptation of that story, whether you like it or it, or found it stretched credulity a bit, it's a very faithful, high-quality adaptation. You know, nice visuals, especially considering, I think it was BBC Four. Yeah. And I think... I don't know. I, I just, I kind of, I like, I think you sort of said they kept quite true to the story. I'd never read the story, but it didn't seem like they tried to adapt it too ridiculously. You know, it, it kind of, it sort of felt of the time. Like I liked his, his mate who's sort of very much like smoking his pipe and going, hello there, old chum. Yeah, yeah. And they're all, you know, hanging out in this, like, was it Oxford library or something like that? Um, I quite like that kind of, I don't know, I don't even know what, what time it would have been necessarily, maybe like, did it say 50s? It was set in the 50s, so they brought they brought the time frame forward from the original, because that, that's too late for M.R. James. But it's yeah. still got that sort of vintage... Vin- exactly, yeah. It's still believable, you know, no one's got their iPhone there yeah, or anything, yeah. you know, it's it's nice, it still feels like it's a... Yeah, an older story. So Yeah, so actually, one thing I will say is it sounds like I'm shitting on it a bit. Purely, I'm just explaining why I didn't like it as much as The Dead Room. And mm. um, as soon as it started and people are riding around the, you know, walking around or driving around in their vintage cars or riding around on bicycles, I sort of fell in love with it. That, that's exactly what I want. Yeah, that's why I went as well. I love an old library and, yeah, yeah. like you say, pipe and a vintage car. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. here for. De- definitely read Emma <laughs> James's stories. Yeah, I'll definitely get on that. I'm, uh, yeah, they sound pretty good. Certainly up my street, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, actually, and I, again, meant to double check this. Were they all adapted by Mark Gattis as well? Because I've always enjoyed his... Um, his stuff anyway, like um, Inside Number Nine, League of Gentlemen, yeah, like, yeah. those sorts of things. I like his kind of like dark humour um, and the way, he, actually the way he tells a story. But I, like I say, I enjoyed all of them. So I was wonder, I was thinking if they were all his, that would make sense to me because he's very good. He's certainly done the recent ones. But um, like I say, this story, this uh, series stretches back decades. True, yeah, um, yeah. But Mark Gattis is a big fan of M.R. James and all the old classic ghost stories. Right. So I think for him it's a bit of a hobby horse. He's also, um, you know, he's done stuff on Radio 4, like he played the man in black who introduces short, dramatised ghost stories. Mm. Uh, I think he's done a documentary about M.R. James. So he's he's like a super fan of the genre. Ah, okay. What what stars rating would you give the Tractate Mid-Off? So I have to be honest, for me it was a five. Was <laughs> I really? really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I think it was just very much up my street, like we were talking about. You know, I like sort of older, you know, ghost stories. I liked the thing about the possessed book. I, it, yeah, just just up my street. And they, they did it very well as well. I thought the actors were great. Um, I mean, you had, you know, it was quite an all-star cast, actually. Yes, it was, yeah. Uh, and filmed very nicely. So the, um, the, the main character, the junior librarian, was played by Sasha Dowan, who more recently has been the master in Doctor Who. Yes. 
And I mean, he's been in a lot of things like Line of Duty. Um, actually, I think he's been in a few police type dramas. But yeah, he's a he's a bit of a face now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's the sort of guy. Even if you didn't recognise the name, if you saw the face, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen him in loads of things." Yeah. Una Stubbs had a small role as well. Yes, on the train. Yeah, yeah. She popped up in the train carriage, didn't she? Yes, she did. Yeah, and she played um, Mrs. Hudson. In Sherlock, that's where I know her from. Yes, of course she did, yeah. Uh, and obviously very well known. Um, I'm trying to think who else was in it now, but I, I did kind of think there was quite a few people that I'd seen in other things. The senior librarian, um, he used to be, I want to say, I'm going to get this wrong, I want to say he was in Coronation Street. Was it Alec Gilroy? Yes, I think it was. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, good, good, very strong cast. So I'm really glad you liked it that much because, you know, this is a series I've got a lot of goodwill for. Mm. So even though it wasn't my favourite, I'm glad that it resonated with you. And because, you know, because then it's not it's not a slightly duff one. It's just it wasn't quite to my taste. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would give it three and a half stars. You know, I enjoyed it enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I just thought just thought the story was a bit of a stretch. Um, so what does that average out to? That's something like four and a quarter stars. That's still a very respectable. Yeah. Showing from the tractate mid-off. Uh, and again, I can't stress the, the things I didn't like about it are things I don't like about the original story. So it's not, um, mm. I'm not shitting on the adaptation itself. The adaptation, yeah. So next up was The Dead Room, which I really liked and you didn't like it as much. So what did you think about this one? I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, again, great cast. Simon Callow um, was uh, kind of the, the main character in this one. Mm. Uh, he's always good. He, I mean, his voice, I think his voice is fantastic. Mm. But it, and it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, because actually I did. It was more that, I don't know, maybe I was sort of less impressed with the story. It wasn't that it was bad. I just thought, oh, okay. So... Obviously, he's this sort of um, radio, radio presenter who's been doing it for a long time. Would you call him a radio presenter, more of a sort of storyteller on the radio? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's a better word for him than that. And he's working late one night in the studio with this young girl um, who's obviously, you know, very different to him. And she, I think she's the producer, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. But she, you know, he he's got kind of like, he's kind of talking about all the good old days and he doesn't really kind of like how, you know, how they've been doing this recently and kind of like, um, I, I think he just kind of is, is very much living in the old days yeah. and, you know, doesn't want change, I would say. Sorry, I've waffled that through, but... Um, no, not at all. So the, the key thing is he, um, his show is he reads a ghost story. Yeah. And he's sort of raving about the classics like Sheridan Lefanu mm. and the latest script he's got a... Read is called Re- Ready Player Death. Yes. About a haunted games console. They're obviously trying to, which actually <laughs> sort of mirrors a bit what they're doing with this episode, because after so many adaptations of M.R. James's story, they're now doing a story set in the modern age. And he's sort of there huffing and puffing about how the old go- ghost stories are better. But, um, yeah, sorry, carry on. Um, no, I just, yeah, so he's, um, he's obviously like, yeah, kind of not very, not particularly happy with how things are running. And um, then weird things start to happen in the studio. 
uh, the noise starts to get distorted and he's seeing weird figures. And, and I think also they talk a lot about ghosts and he's kind of like quite dismissive about it. Cause, uh, the young, the younger woman is saying, Oh, you know, it's, it's supposed to be haunted. And he's like, Oh, no, no, you know, that's just silly. But then as the episode carries on, he, he starts to see things. He starts to think he's kind of losing it a bit. Um, and then it kind of all comes to a head. And actually, it seems that the ghost story is very much about him and what he did some years ago. Yeah, yeah. Which actually, I did, I did like that. I thought it was a good, a good little story. It was a nice little twist. And obviously, it's interesting because he's been holding what happened all these years ago. He's been holding it in. He hasn't told anybody. And now it's all kind of like come out and he ends up sort of blurting it out. Um, what we can say because we're in spoilers section. Yeah is when he was a young man, he had a lover, a lover called Paul. Mm. When he's telling this story to the producer, he originally says, oh, he went for a swim in the reservoir and he drowned. That's it, yeah. And the twist is revealed at the end that Paul was going to expose their relationship, which would have been ruinous for him at the time, back in the 70s. Mm. And he was actually present when he got into trouble while he was swimming. And he let him drown to avoid exposure. Yeah. And it's Paul who's come back to haunt him all these years later in the studio. And I think um, that was the first time, if I'm right, about, if I'm right, that they've been back in the studio for a long time. So it's almost like he'd, it, you know, it was him revisiting the studio where he'd been with Paul. Mm back in the 70s and he hadn't really been there since so hence why i think this was happening now um and it was a good little story i liked how they did it um minimal cast kind of didn't really need a lot quite um you're basically in the studio the whole time pretty much apart from a couple of flashback scenes and i what i liked about this one actually is was i felt like there was I was constantly on the edge of my seat. I kind of felt the foreboding, you know, there was sort of some shots where he was, to, um, so I think he was, his name was Aubrey and he was chatting to the younger girl and they left a lot of uh, dead space in the back. And I was thinking, oh, something's going to come out. We're going to see something. And they kept that going all the way through. Um, so I was, I was, um, yeah, quite gripped. Yeah. They, it's um, such a small, you know, it would work great as a stage play, such a small production, but they really mm. did a lot with just how they showed the set. You know, it had a sort of spooky, empty feeling. Yeah. One thing I loved about it, because so much of the runtime was Simon Callow recording his ghost story. He was so good at reading ghost stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really dripping with atmosphere. It's just got, I mean, like I said before, just his voice is so full of character and emotion. Yeah. And you can tell, you know, this is someone who has had many years, not just on the screen, but on the stage, you know, he really knows how to sort of throw his voice. It's just, yeah, brilliant. It's, it's almost, I could have almost just sat there and closed my eyes and listened to him, you know, just, just read the story, never mind the episode, because it was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And something that was really interesting about that, again, with M.R. James playing such a big part in the ghost stories for Christmas and with Simon and with Mark Gattis being such a fan of M.R. James is the scenes when Aubrey was telling the producer, you know, he was giving his thoughts on what made a good ghost story. 
that was all sort of paraphrased from M.R. James's own essays oh. on what he thought made a good ghost story, even down to, you remember when Aubrey says how important reticence is? Yes. That was the word M.R. James used in his essays on oh, ghost stories, how important reticence was. And even his theory that it should be set within living memory, not too far back in time, but not too current either. You know, just old enough. That, that again is, um, one of M.R. James's suggestions for what makes a good ghost story. So that was really nice to hear, actually, because it. Mm, a nice little touch. And again, no, I didn't know about that. So that, that's nice. L- little Easter egg for M.R. James fans. Yeah. I guess you just didn't find the ghost story itself that, that surprising or novel. Yeah. I think that, that was all. But like I say, I mean, I enjoyed all three of them. So for me, it was just, my least favourite of three stories that I really enjoyed. You know, it's not... If I'd been watching that and then some other stuff, that might have been my favourite. You know, it's just... Yeah. Stars rating. I would give it four and a half, I think. Mm. What would you give Dead Room? I would go with a four. Oh, really? Yeah. So again, that's averaged out as a four and a quarter. Mm. So currently... Currently, the the drawing. Yeah. Well, I say that when when I come to edit this, I might realise that my maths is off because <laughs> I'm not much of a mathematician. It's got to be better than mine. So <laughs> glad you're doing it. I think I'm primary school math still. <laughs> And then the third and final ghost story was the one that came out last year. So this is still very much, um, it's not every year, but they're still doing these. Mm. I, I don't think there's one this year, actually. I'll have to look. I haven't seen anything advertised. You would have thought they would have put it on by now, but I, I, I'm not certain on that. They might put it on Christmas Day or something. Who knows? Do you know what, though? They're not that widely advertised. Because, like, mm. the ones the last two years passed you by, because they tend to put them on on you know, like I say, BBC Four or something, you know, they turn up on iPlayer. But... Yeah, that's true. And it, I, I mean, the, I wouldn't have known about the one on BBC iPlayer if you hadn't have um, told me about it. I wouldn't have even seen it because you did have to search for that a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you might be right there. Although they're showing, they're showing one of them again this year. They're re-showing, I think The Dead Room is on again this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of Martin's Close? So, I, yeah, again, I really enjoyed Martin's Close. Um, I thought it was a nice little story. I liked that it was a bit different because um, obviously it was set uh, 1680s, was it? 1600s, anyway, I think. Certainly long, longer, longer ago. Yeah. Than the track taken it off. That was cool because it was, you know, set right back. So kind of very different again. And I liked, uh, the kind of the fact that it was sort of presented as, as a trial. And you had the kind of the guy who was more present day talking about it. But then we were sort of shown the trial for, for the audience. This was about a young man who'd been accused of murdering a young girl. Basically, he'd met her at a party and she, um, had some, she had some learning difficulties and he'd basically taken advantage of her and, you know, made her think he was really into her and she'd started following him around. He'd got bored of her and then it appeared that he had murdered her and they'd found the body and this was the trial to work out if he had murdered her or not so that was quite interesting and you're not really sure whether he has and what's going on and I quite like that there's a bit of humor to it as well like the judge is quite amusing um, you know and he's sort of having a laugh with the court courtroom and the jury 
And then you've got Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi, yeah. Yeah, who's the, um, what would you call him? The, the representation for, was he the accused or the defense? I can't remember now, but he's sort of a big character in it and they sort of bounce off each other. Uh, I just thought it was quite nice. It was a, a quite different again, a good cast. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think, I think I would put this between the two in terms of how much I liked it. Yeah. Same for me. Are we both going to give it four and a quarter? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? Come on. <laughs> um, the scene at the end where the defendant actually sees the ghost of the murdered woman. Yes. When he looks across the courtroom. Yeah. Mm. That's a good scene. Yeah, that was quite freaky, wasn't it? And in fact, that's interesting because in all of these three stories, they do see the ghost, if not at the end, at, at some point in the story. And it's usually a kind of horrible spectre, isn't it? In fact, it was in all three. So that was a bit of a kind of running theme through these. I don't know if that's the same with all of them, but certainly with these three. My favourite spectral manifestation in A Ghost Story for Christmas is Lost Hearts. The the special Ah, effects would be a bit creaky by modern standards, but I think it's very effective. Hmm. So we'll definitely have to make sure we watch that one next year. Definitely. No, that sounds good. Did you also notice that the woman, one of the women who was giving evidence was the woman that used to be in like the Philadelphia adverts? No, really? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, where do I know her from? Yeah, Philadelphia adverts, probably in the 90s or something like that. Was she like the sort of angel on a cloud? She was the one that was the tavern owner. Oh, sorry, no, I meant in the Philadelphia adverts. Oh, sorry. (laughs) To be honest, I was thinking... Who who was on a cloud? But I thought maybe I just missed a bit. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that one. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) What are you going on about, Ellis? Yeah, yeah. Um, I do... So even though as a ghost story and as a production, the, you know, I've said I like the the dead room, Mm. I do really like when they make these period ghost stories under the ghost story for Christmas banner. Me too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I prefer the period stuff to the modern day, definitely. It'd be interesting then, so you probably... So I'm really keen for you to see the 2010 version of Whistle, and I'll come Mm. to you. Because A, it's set in the modern day. Yeah. So I want to know, you know, is it another dead room for you? Do you think it? Do you just not enjoy it as much as the others? Okay. But also I think one of the reasons it's controversial... And one of the reasons why I was a bit underwhelmed by it the first time I saw it is how much it departs from the source material. Mm. But if you, if you're not familiar with the source material and you come to it cold, not knowing anything about the story, I'd be interested to know, just judged on its own merits, how much you like the story. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And I think the end of that is really scary, actually. Okay. Yeah, I think more scary than the... Whistle and I'll come to you, did you say that Yeah, one? and you'll be able to find it on Amazon. Okay. You might have to pay can hunt that down. a quid or two Ugh, for it. God. Yeah, I don't... Can't afford that, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can stretch. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't think it was included for Prime members. Ah, uh, okay. But um, it's definitely on there. That's how I've seen it. Yeah, be really interesting. That's your homework, Anne. Okay. Have a watch of that and let me know. Report back. Yeah, excellent. So this this is our 10th episode, by the way. So this is being a Christmas special. Oh. It's quite a nice way to end. We could call this the end of series one. Yeah, going into double figures. Nice. Yeah, definitely. What else can we say about Martin's Close? The, um, the 
girl with learning difficulties had a sort of physical tick, didn't she, where she flapped her hands? Oh, like a goose, he says, doesn't he? He describes it like a yeah, goose. Yeah. Which actually, when she did it, she did, it, it was. She did a good impression of a goose, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the award for looking like a goose goes to... <laughs> <laughs> I I really love the end where he's going away to the gallows. Oh, yeah. And from behind you see the ghost of Anne. She's going to watch him. Do I remember correctly? She's yes. following the crowd. She follows him. Watch him hang, getting hanged. And sort of she flaps her hands, doesn't she? And I, I liked that they'd kind of gone to the details of things where they were sort of saying, oh, there's a piece of land um, away from the village, which has, you know, never been built on. And they call it Martin's Close, and that's where he was um, hung. And for a minute, I was going to look it up, and I was like, no, that can't be real. It's a story. But it was a nice little little attention to detail, you know. Um, I I like things like that when people have thought about it. There probably is a Martin's Close somewhere in the UK, like a cul-de-sac. Oh, bound to be. Or something. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. bound to be. So I probably would have just been looking on Rightmove all day. Excellent. Okay, so what what stars would you give this one? I think um, a four, four and a quarter if you want. (laughs) Okay, let's both give it a four and a quarter. So it's a very honourable three-way draw. Definitely. Between all three of our ghost stories for Christmas. And I think it's nice that we had favourites and then we both kind of liked Martin's Close in the Middle. And obviously obviously it was something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know. But we didn't kind of think one was awful or anything. We just had different favourites. We're quite happy to say, oh, you know, that that wasn't my favourite, but I'm glad it was somebody else's favourite. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's. I think that's a nice outcome. Definitely. Right, Anne. Well, to, to round off the episode, mm. are you ready for another instalment <gasps> of Hannah Does a Quiz? I certainly am. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that and I'm quite excited. <laughs> Okay, so the format of this quiz, I've not been very um, imaginative. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) It is exactly the same format as last time. Nice. Well, I enjoyed that one. So, you know, why change a winning formula? We basically have a list of films, some real, some made up, that have punning titles, and they are all Christmas horror movies. Oh, classic. Okay. So, are you ready to hear your first film? I'm ready. Special Agent Connor leads the FBI response when a crazed killer tries to kill one person per day in the lead-up to Christmas. The name of the film... Try try and guess the name of the film. So, the Advent Killer or something like that? Advent Killinder. Oh! (laughs) Oh! I mean, it sounds like a brilliant film. I'm going to go with it's real. It's not real. I made it up. Oh, God. Okay, we need to make that film then, because that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see the Advent Killinder. Advent Killinder. Oh, you're a genius, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, film. This is your second film. Okay. An evil yet adorable gingerbread man. <laughs> 
comes to life with the soul of a convicted killer. This real-life cookie monster wreaks havoc on the girl who sent the killer to the electric chair. And the name of the film is Ginger Dead Man. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with that is made up. No, that's actually real. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I kind of want to see that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks brilliant, actually. I'll send you the trailer. Bizarre. Oh, by brilliant. the way, I saw the, I saw the trailer for Velocipasta. <laughs> And that look that looks brilliant. You remember from the last time we played this? Cannot wait for that one. I would definitely in series two. Let's do an episode on Velocipasta. Yeah, special special edition. <laughs> oh. Okay, film number three. Okay. On Christmas Eve, a wicked AI goes rogue and raises an army of androids, planning to launch all the nukes at the stroke of twelve. And the name of the film is Weapons of Midnight Mass Destruction. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I, <laughs> someone's thinking outside the box with that one. Um, I'm going to say that is false. Yeah, I made that up. But I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Okay, film number four. Yep. As North Pole Employee of the Year, Pickles is invited to join Santa for a Christmas Eve ride-along. When he sees real children for the first time, he's appalled by how spoiled and grateful they are and embarks on a brutal killing spree. And the name of the film is Elf Mutilation. I'm going to say that that's true. No, I made that one up. Ah! <laughs> oh, it didn't get a laugh either. No, I was just, it was more that I was trying to think whether that would be one of yours. And I thought, <laughs> no, I don't know. I think that's a true. Yeah, I was, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, that one bombed, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I'll leave it in to pad out the runtime. To be, to be honest, I think I was still recovering from mi- weapons of midnight mass destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to do this next one as a double bill. Okay. Because one film is a sequel to the other. Ah, okay. So the first film, I'll read both descriptions and then give you both of the film titles. Film number one. In the sleepy town of Paradise Falls, a troop of carol singers are picked off one by one by a masked stranger in a gold crown. And the synopsis of film number two. Exactly one year after a famous festive massacre... A copycat arrives in Paradise Falls, wearing the same gold crown as his predecessor. Now, the first film is called Blood King Wenceslas, <laughs> and the sequel is called Blood King Wenceslas 2, O Little Town of Deathly Hem. Oh. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say true. No, nah, I made them both up. Ah! <laughs> To be honest, I think you're in the wrong job. I think you should be naming films, if I'm honest. Because right. <laughs> you just keep coming up with them. <laughs> Are you ready for your last film? I am, I am. Did this quiz in a bit of a hurry, so it's not as long as the last one. The horrifying yet delicious and chewy Ginger Dead Man causes murder and mayhem on the set of a low-budget movie set. 
It will take the determination of the studio's young new owner to save both his company and the lives of his new friends, including a terminally ill young boy whose final wish was to meet the studio stars. The name of the film is Ginger Dead Man 2, Passion of the Crust. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Uh, I I'm gonna say you've made that one up. No, it's real. Are you serious? <laughs> Passion of the Cross. <laughs> oh my god! I wouldn't have even thought they'd like want to use that. You know, yeah, no. it's a bit. I mean, Passion of the Cross was a bit meh anyway. <laughs> That is amazing. Passion of the Crust. Oh. I again, that is one for my list to watch. It really is. Yeah, definitely. We should do the Ginger Dead Man movies. There's about four. I think we should, yeah. Let's have like a marathon. Get like we did um for Fright Fest, but a gin- ginger marathon. Yeah, although like I like that. If we sit down with all four and the first one's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that could be quite a grueling day. <laughs> really good. <laughs> But then sometimes with those, these, those sorts of films, sometimes like number three is better, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not like, generally with films, but I think with kind of more off the wall films, sometimes the sequel or the yeah, yeah. threequel. Definitely. Like, what would you rather watch? Leprechaun or Leprechaun in the Hood? Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that is all from me. Ah, oh, well, bravo, bravo. Another great quiz. Thank you for playing. And I don't think I did very well, to be honest. Do you know, I forgot to I forgot to keep track of your score, if I'm honest. I mean, you always surprise me. I'm always thrown because I think I know what you're going to come up with and I just... No, every time you get me. <laughs> <laughs> but that was very entertaining. Oh, wow, wow. Passion of the Crust. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? It is a good one. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, we will see you in 2021, and let's hope it's a much better year. I mean, we'll be back with Series 2, and let's hope it's a much better podcast. No. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> It it can't be much worse. It can't, it can't. (laughs) Yeah, well, very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to listeners at home. Both of you. (laughs) (laughs) All two of you. Yeah. Hey, Mum. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Adam. (laughs) And uh, also a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you as well, Han. And to you, Alice. And um, hopefully see you in the flesh in the new year. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Tune in next time for more Midweek Horror. Don't get scared now. <laughs> <laughs>